welcome back. We're back in the Word, uh, part three today of uh, the series, the Messianic Psalms. We're enjoying thinking through how Jesus is everything to us. He's a savior, he's a shepherd, and today we'll look at him being our king. I'm joining you from my home today, again, after such a long time. That's weird how it was, but we have, we've been enjoying meeting on Sunday mornings. And, you know, sometime at some point you need to join us. If you are usually an online person, come to Delhi, come fellowship with us. We'd love to have you with us. And for those of you who normally come, uh, it's been great, hasn't it? Uh, leave a comment, leave a question uh, in the comment section right now. Uh, if you have any thoughts about the sermon, anything you want to add, anything you want to respond to, engage with us so that we are uh, we know that you are feeling it. We know that you are uh, receiving this as from the Lord. Let's continue in our series today. We're in this three-part series. We've already looked at the suffering servant in Psalm 22. We really hammered that one in, and I remember uh, the, the things you said about it, and I was so glad that the Lord spoke to so many of you. Last week, we looked at Psalm 23, which is, The Lord is my shepherd, Adonai. Adonai is my shepherd. And finally, today, we're in Psalm 24, where the psalmist looks at God as king, king of the universe, king of the earth, and how God the king is our king. God the king is our king. And I want us to keep thinking about that. Put it in the back of your mind, that uh, that the suffering servant is my uh Savior and the, the the Lord being shepherd is my shepherd and of course God is king of the universe but he's also my king and therein lies them the strength of of, of making it personal when uh, God the God of heaven is also my God when you understand who God is and where he is and what he's capable of life begins to take a turn in the way you approach uh, struggles issues relationships pain heartache and everything that the world and life throws at you. Allow me to read through properly Psalm 24, and it's on the screen for you. So read along with me if you can. This is Psalm 24, one of the most beautiful Psalms in the scriptures. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas, he's established it upon the rivers, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him. Such is the generation of those who seek who seek the face of the God of Jacob. He breaks into worship here in verse 7. He says, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory, the Lord of hosts. The hosts are the armies of the Lord. He is the Lord of angel armies. He is the Lord of angel armies. So let's get back into it. All right. If you've got your scriptures with you, we're going to take the first two verses and then break it down. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. And the world and those, that, that's pretty much everything. 
That's absolutely everything. Every, every living creature, everything that lives and breathes and takes up space belongs to God. Time, matter and space. Everything in creation belongs to God. And uh, Psalmist is going to make a point of this in just a minute. He's not just worshipping and he's not just lifting up uh, a, a praise to God, but he's going to make a point of it as he, uh, as he emphasizes on each thing that God has created. The earth is the Lord, the fullness are of the world and those who dwell in it, for he has founded it. If you've got your Bible circle, founded it. He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. It's very interesting as you get into the science of it, how God has created the worlds. But over here, he just visits that very quickly as he talks about the foundation that God set in place for the earth, the foundation and the way he established it. I just want to really make a, a point of that. So let's get started with this. The psalmist introduces God as creator king, as creator king who rules over all the earth. So these are the two things he's bringing up about. He made it and he rules over it. He made it and he owns it. So the Lord owns the earth. Yes, the Lord owns the earth and he owns everything that is in it. There's nothing that does not belong to God. His rule is established particularly because he made it, because he created it, because he brought it and spoke it into existence. His rule is established in the world that he made. In the things that he spoke into existence, in the systems that he spoke into existence, his rule is established. Gravity, aerodynamics, and every other principle in nature that you might understand, think, study, and research. God made it, he spoke it into existence, and it lives and breathes by its, its rules, and God is God over it. Okay, then he says seas, he uses the word seas, he uses the word waters. They may reflect the forces of nature because you have water, but then you also have waves. You have waves and you have seas, you have thunderstorms, you have wind systems and, 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 and uh, weather systems. And all of that is not chaos. All of it is well within the control of God. All of it is within his handiwork. Seas and waters, they reflect uh, forces of chaos. They reflect forces, of, but they're not hostile. They are not hostile. They're not chaotic forces. They are not, uh, they are fully under God's dominion. What am I saying here this morning? It's not a freak of, act of nature. There's nothing in the world that works by chance. We're not a cosmic accident. God created the universe. And if you go back in time, there was a moment where God thought, God spoke, and God saw that it was good. This world that you live in, as chaotic as it might seem and as chaotic as it was taught to you in its origin and in its current form, is completely under God's control. Things have gone haywire because of sin. Things have gone amiss because of what man has done under his rule. But God is still in control. God is still on the throne. What have we learned so far? Because God made the universe and because he established it and founded it, it is not a freak of nature. It is not a cosmic accident. It is not a series of chances that boom, suddenly we appeared and out of nowhere, there's you and me. God thought us into existence. He formed us and he was pleased with us. And the world is his. The earth is established. 
We got that? Let's visit Psalm 136 just to get a feel of, of David saying the same thing, but in another context. He says, give thanks to the Lord of Lords. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords. And then there's a chorus here for his love endures forever. I, I emitted that chorus just to get to the to the meat of this. He says to him who alone does great wonders to him who by understanding made the heavens to him who spread out the earth above the waters to him who made the great lights. The sun to rule over the day, the moon, the moon and the stars to rule over the night for his steadfast love endures right throughout the psalmist. Uh, the, the Psalms, the theme is that God made, God sustains, God rules. God made, God sustains and God rules. So the earth is the Lord because the Lord made it. The earth is the Lord's because he made it. And the world is under his control because he is king over it. The world is under his control because he is king over it. So if he's king over the world and he owns everything, where does that put you and me? If the suffering servant is my savior and the good shepherd is my shepherd, is the king of the universe, the king of my life is the king of the universe, the king of my life. So having established God as creator and king, the psalmist now moves to worship. He moves and breaks out into worship and fellowship with that king. What does it mean to fellowship with that king? What does it mean to worship that king? Verse three, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Stop. Just go back a little bit and don't just read it as scripture. Read it as something that's out of the context of your life. He's talking about the hill of the Lord. What does that even mean? Does God uh, live on one particular hill or does one particular hill belong to the Lord? No. Whenever you talk about the hills, you're talking about the highest point on the earth or a higher point on the earth where you're leaving kind of earth and meeting God between heaven and earth. Where he comes down, but not all the way. He would when he comes in Jesus form, but he comes down and he meets you at the top of the hill. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help comes from the Lord who makes heavens and earth. Many of the Psalms are written as a Psalm of ascent, as the people climbed up the hill to go up to Mount Zion, where they met with the Lord. Worship was at the top of the hill. Worship was at the top of the hill. Idolatry was at the at the foot of the hills. God in all of his goodness meets with his people at the top of a hill. He called Moses. He said, Moses, come, let's hang out. And he did coffee with Moses on the top of the hill. He brought the cloud around him like a little curtain and he met with him man to man, friend with a friend. So who has the right? Who has the uh, has the qualification to meet God in person, to meet God in fellowship? We're going to talk about that. And the psalmist brings that out as worship to the Lord. He says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand, ascend and stand in the holy place? Who gets to actually be in God's presence? Who gets to enjoy God? What does it take? What are the qualifications? What are the criteria that a man can have to be in the presence of God? So the psalmist expresses the nature of fellowship with God. As ascending the hill of the Lord and standing, ascending and standing. This is the privilege of those who qualify. Those who seek his favor. Remember, this is Old Testament. 
Remember, this is pre-Jesus. Remember, this is the psalmist as he understands all of the all of the uh, intimacy of God and the relationship with God within the context of the law and keeping of the law. Remember that. And as we move into Jesus, it just gets better. But he says those who seek his favor need to prepare themselves, not only ceremonially, not only religiously, but also by sanctifying their personal lives. There needs to be a personal holiness, a personal preparedness. When you get out to work, you, you have a shower, you dress up. I hope you do. When you when when you're going on a uh, getting on a plane or when you when you're going to a special event, you dress up. When you're going to meet a special person, you dress up even more. You take an extra effort. When you're going to meet the Lord, is there a dressing up? And the dressing up that is required to meet the Lord, to ascend and to stand, to ascend to the Lord, to hill of the Lord, and to stand in His holy place, is a character dressing. It's a character. Uh, uh, attire. So there is a place where you meet with the Lord. There is a place where you meet with God. There is a place where the infinite, holy creator, God of heaven. Are you listening? There is an infinite God of heaven, the holy creator. He meets with those who seek his fellowship. Just let that sink in. Regardless of the fact that we need to prepare ourselves, we need to be holy, we need to live our lives set, set apart. God wants to meet with you. God wants that hill to be your experience. He wants to call you up and meet with you, talk to you. So there is a place, but there is also a kind of a person. There is a type of person. So verse 4 and 5 and 6, join me. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. He who has clean hands and a pure, who does not lift up his soul to uh, what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Verse five, verse six, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Now we're looking at the criteria. We're looking at the type of person who can ascend and who can stand in the presence of the Lord. God expects purity. God expects singleness of heart. The Lord expects purity. And the Lord expects singleness of heart, pure hands and a pure heart, pure hands and a pure heart. He's not saying sinless. He's not saying those who have never done anything wrong. He's talking about clean hands because you can wash your hands, a clean heart because you can renew your heart. So he's talking about coming into his presence, ready, prepared, wash your hands before you eat, clean your heart before you listen. That person who does that, number one, hands, number two, heart, number three, does not speak lies, does not speak lies. And number four, idolatry, who will not bow before idols. His heart is devoted to the Lord of heaven and he will not give first place in his life to anything else that contends for the throne of God, that contends for the will of God in his life. He will receive blessing from the Lord when he comes up to the hill. He will receive righteousness from the God of his salvation. And then he moves from one man to generation. If a man can be like that, if one person can be like that, then a generation can be like that. If you can be the one person in your generation, then your generation has a shot at being a generation that seeks after God. For every generation must in its own generation have its own leaders, its own mentors, its own uh, influences. Every generation will have its own uh, uh, people who call on the name of the Lord. Every generation has to have its own people who seek God earnestly for their own generation. It is never 
cross generations. And God wants every generation to be faithful. So he says here, such is the generation, verse 6, who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. So God wants singleness of heart. He wants devotion that is single-minded. No idolatry, no hypocrisy. So today I'm not getting into the lifestyle of a Christian. That's not what I'm doing here. I don't want to get into what life should be like and how committed you and I should be. But as we think about ascending the hill and standing in the holy place, ascending the hill and standing in the holy place, God is inviting you to wash your hands. God is inviting you to cleanse your hearts. He's inviting you to put away the idols and he's inviting you to come. And if you do, there's a blessing waiting for you. And there's a righteousness available to you. There's a blessing waiting for you and there's a righteousness available to you. So four things. Singleness of devotion. If you're going to put Christ first, number one, your heart constantly cleansed. You will not have a pure heart for your whole life. You'll have a pure heart one day and an unpure heart the next day. What is the, word, what is the meaning of pure? Well, what is pure water? Pure water is only water. It is not contaminated. It doesn't have any other elements in it. It is not mixed with anything else. Is my heart divided? David had a whole heart for God. Solomon had a half heart for God. God talks about a divided heart. God talks about a heart that's torn between two loves. He says you can't serve God and money. He says if you, uh, you can't love one master and love another master. You're going to hate one, you're going to love the other. You're going to serve one, you're going to despise the other. One way or the other, you're going to get torn. Idolatry is divisive. Idolatry is destructive. Idolatry takes you far from God and idols don't necessarily have to be uh, statues and things we bow down before. Idols, idols are those things that take the place of God. The Holy Spirit can help you understand what has become an idol in your life. Sometimes even a favorite emotion can become an idol in your life. You just like feeling that particular emotion. In fact, you've become addicted to that emotion and now you just want to Look for situations and create situations that develop that emotion and now you're hooked on it. So it can be as simple as that. Let the Spirit of God do what he has to do to cleanse you. When does this happen? It happens when you ascend the hill of the Lord. It happens when you stand in the holy place. It happens when you receive the righteousness that is yours in Christ. It happens when you receive the blessing that is yours in Christ. For Christ is that king. I'll, I'll explain that in just a minute. For Christ is that king and he is the one who is now inviting you. The God of heaven met the Israelites at the top of the hill. But Jesus meets us at the top of another hill, at the cross. At the cross, I bow my knee. It is at the cross I find, find my, my all forgiven. It is at the cross I receive a blessing from God. It is at the cross I become new. So I go back to the cross day in, day out, and I find myself longing for the righteousness of God that is not my own, a longing for his love. So he will receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness. Such, such a generation seeks after God. Such is a generation that seeks after God. So now the psalmist makes it messianic and suddenly he bursts into psalm and you almost need to wonder because even scholars haven't figured this out. Have to wonder who's he talking to. He starts talking to gates and doors and stuff like that. But he's basically the king of the castle. He's the king of the city, Jerusalem. And he's talking to his king. As the king of the city, he's talking about the king of the universe. And he says, lift up your heads, lift up your gates, be lifted up and let the king in. Let the king in. Let me read it for you. He says, 
Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. In a song, he repeats himself and basically he says, if you're going to uh, if you're going to sing it, repeat it after me. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads again, you gates, lift him up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies. I love that song. The Lord of angel armies. He is the king of glory. So if there's any confusion about who we're talking about, it is Jesus. It is Jesus we're talking about. So in this picture of great triumph and fanfare, in this picture of great triumph and fanfare, the psalmist is, call, is calling a rejoicing and a celebration of the king. He talks to the gates, be lifted up. He talks to the uh, doors. He says, be lifted up, open up, let him in. The king of Israel was calling on the king of the universe to come and rule. You can have your own kingdom, but God is still your king. You can have your own uh, little dynasty, but God is still king. You can have all the wealth and all the riches and all the control, but God is still king. And when you, the king of your own life, bow to the king of the universe, the king of the universe becomes the king of your life. And then the rules and the blessing and the consistency and the dominion that is seen in the universe will be seen in your life. Because the children of Abraham and Jacob are those who fellowship and worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You are truly a child of Abraham. You're truly a child of Jacob. Only if you let the King of the universe come in. He's coming in splendor. He's coming in glory. He's the King of glory, the Lord strong and mighty. He is the King of angel armies. Let me close just between you and me on a devotional thought. Revelation chapter 19, as I, as I you know, go to a few passages just to get to a picture of Jesus as king. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and, na- and the name by which he is called is the word of God. Sound familiar? On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is the King of glory. He is the Lord strong and mighty. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Even Jesus said himself when he was on earth, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. For unto us a child is born. Does that sound familiar? Unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of his increase, of the increase of his government, And of peace, there will be no end. His government will increase, his peace will increase. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and even forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God himself will accomplish it. Jesus is that king and he's coming back. Is he coming back as your king? Or is he coming back as just the king of the universe? He is the king of the universe. You don't get to decide that. But you and I do get to decide whether he's your king, whether he's my king. Shepherd, yeah, that's a lovely notion. Savior, that's necessary. A desperate notion. But king, that takes some bowing. That takes some bending. Jesus said, when the son of man comes, and that's his messianic title, He says in uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 18, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? When he returns, 
Will you find this generation, your generation, a generation that seeks after God? A generation that cleanses their hearts and hands, and put away their, puts away their idols, so that they may prepare themselves for the coming King. Will you find a generation that's seeking to ascend to the hill of the Lord and to stand, ascend and stand? Will he see, will he find a generation? Will he find people who really want fellowship with God? So my brothers and sisters, my friends, this, this morning we're thinking about two basic things here. And if you're taking notes, these are the two things I want you to go home with. We are preparing for a coming king with single-minded devotion. As a generation and as a church and as individuals. We're preparing for a coming king with single-minded devotion. If he's coming for me, what sort of life ought I to live? Number two, we are anticipating a victorious king. So we are filled with celebration and worship. We're anticipating a victorious king. We're not waiting for a king to come and deliver us from anything. He has delivered. He has triumphed. Now he's coming up. Lift up your gates. Lift up your doors. Let the king of glory come in. Who is this king of glory? Jesus. And he's coming back for his own. And we wait with triumphant worship and rejoicing. Sunday after Sunday. Home group after home group. Devotion after devotion. Worshipping and thanking the Lord that he is still on the throne. God is still on the throne. For he will never forsake his own. May the Lord bless you and let his word trickle deep down into the bottom of your heart where big decisions are made. And may he find you there, the bottom of your heart and at the top of the hill. God bless you. Jeremy Dawson and if you liked what you just saw if it was a blessing then hit the subscribe button come on you can do it hit the subscribe button uh, hit the bell so that we know you want to hear from us lots of videos coming your way songs worship encouragement come on subscribe let's take this forward and share with somebody you might know write a comment in the section below but let's see you guys again come on subscribe